Good News Ministries of GNN.org presents The Story in the Bible. Now, here is Terry Modica. People believed so much in Jesus and in what he said and what he did and in the power of the Holy Spirit that things happened that today we'd think, you know, impossible. It can't happen now. Like, for example, Philip. He was preaching, going wherever God told him to go. He heard God tell him, you know where you were planning to go today? Well, change your plans. That's not where I plan for you to go. Go down this road. So he goes down that road, and along comes this eunuch. He was an Ethiopian. And he's riding along in this royal carriage, and he's looking at the Old Testament, scratching his head, trying to figure out what all this means and what should he be learning from it. He's quite confused. He wasn't raised a Jew, so he hasn't had all the training that all the Jews have since early childhood. God cares so much about him and his faith journey and his need for conversion that he says to Philip, who's had such a communication openness with God that he's able to hear God say, go down this road. So he goes down this road, comes across this eunuch. God says, stop the eunuch, stop the carriage, speak to him. And he does that. They have a great conversation. The eunuch is converted because Philip explains to him how this all relates to Jesus Christ. They come across a little stream. He baptizes him in the water in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Philip's job is done. God is thinking, now I need him over in that town right away. And that's a, I don't know how many hours journey. So God goes, poof. And just like that, Philip disappears into the clear blue, into nothingness. He's just gone. And he appears in some other town where God next has a minister. This is supposed to be normal Christian living. If we are believing Jesus, as he said in John 14, 12, if we are filled with the Holy Spirit and in communication with God, the way Philip was and the others in the book of Acts, this is supposed to be normal Christian living. The multiplication of the food, it does happen today where people are filled with faith and they need the food to be multiplied because they're serving the needy and there are more needy than they expected. Raising from the dead. It does happen today. I don't know if it's ever happened in this country, but in countries who are not so materialistic, where their faith is more open to God, it has happened. It does happen. All kinds of miracles are still happening today because God has not changed. It's we who have changed. So read the book of Acts, not just to learn about how the church got started, but read it for how God is calling you as a church to get your life started. Our Christian lives have only just begun. We've been baby Christians crawling for too long. There is so much more we can do, and God empowers us to do it, not for the fun of poofing around like beam me up, Scotty, but because we are so committed to ministry that God says, okay, Terry, you're finished with the Bible conference. I need you over in Africa now. Poof. Well, wait a minute, God. I've got to get my shots first. Okay. In chapter 4, because of the preaching they're doing, they're beginning to get persecuted. We see starting with verse 5, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Sanhedrin, calls them on the carpet for what they're doing, and in verse 7, they say, By what power, by what name have you done this? Why are you stirring up this trouble? And Peter, 
filled with the Holy Spirit, just answers them and gives a little homily here and talks about Jesus boldly. This is the way we're supposed to be. And we can when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you think I'm able to stand up here and do this? The Holy Spirit gives us the words. Starting with verse 32, it describes more about what that Christian community was like, living in community. The stories go on with chapter 5. In chapter 5, there's also more miracles shown, starting with verse 12. With verse 17, there's more persecution. With the miracles comes persecution. You become real obvious that you're working for the Lord when miracles start happening around you or through you. If we are not being persecuted, then that's a real good clue that we are not doing very much for the kingdom of God. We're just riding the fence. We're just staying hidden. Our light is under a bushel basket. If our light is truly shining, there will be people who will be disturbed by its light because they don't want their darkness exposed or what they do in darkness exposed. And we will get persecuted. So look at persecution as a gauge as to how much you love the Lord and how much you love the people he loves and how much you're doing for the Lord, how effective you are for the kingdom of God. So praise, the New Testament is filled with, and we'll be covering briefly some of these quotes, filled with the encouragement of we should be joyful in our sufferings because we're suffering for the Lord. Persecution is a suffering we should be joyful in. It's not so bad to be persecuted when in the midst of these persecutions, the supernatural is going on. You know, it is awesome. I have, for example, where's Karen? I want to use you as show and tell. Come up here, please. Normal Christian living. She was having back problems, so I prayed over her leg. Because a lot of times when our legs, our hips are out of whack, that causes back problems. I did not know that she had had an operation years ago that removed some bone from her knee. And I was praying over that leg because it was shorter than the other leg because her hips were out of whack and that's what caused the back pain. I didn't know that she had a missing bone in there, but in the process of the leg getting longer, God healed the bone, replaced it. There's hard bone there now. Praise the Lord. The glory goes to him. This is supposed to be normal Christian living. And by the way, the way that whole miracle transpired was because we were meeting in a community. There was a group of us who were gathering every week to pray together. If we had not spent that time out of our week to get together, we would never have witnessed that miracle. Okay, moving along here. In chapter 7... Starting with verse 54, Stephen is martyred. In chapter 8, the persecution begins to increase. Philip, in chapter 8, starting with verse 9, has an encounter with a sorcerer, a magician, someone who practiced magic, someone who was involved in the occult. And this guy was getting a lot of people to follow him and to place their trust in him. Verse 12. Philip comes in to the town where this magician, Simon, has been working his powers. But once they began to believe Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, men and women alike were baptized. God's power is greater than any occult power. 
we as Christians should be able to show God's supernatural power is greater than the supernatural things that happen in witchcraft and sorcery and seances and palm reading, other kinds of fortune telling. People become convinced that they don't need God because that other supernatural power is available. And meanwhile, us Christians are sitting in our pews barely knowing the people around us, if we know them at all, barely willing to shake their hands during the passing of the peace. And these poor hurting people who are headed towards hell out there are finding their community amongst the psychics because they're looking for a God who is so powerful that he can solve their problems. And we're not showing them that God. We're showing them that Christianity means going to church because you have to or you're afraid of going to hell if you don't. And they look at Christians racing each other out of the parking lot and getting mad if we get cut off by somebody who beats us out. They look at Christians in the workplace who are just like everybody else. The divorce rate in the Catholic Church is the same as non-Catholics, non-Christians. They look at us getting just as angry, just as revengeful, just as upset, just as filled with problems, just as defeated by problems as everybody else. So why should they turn to Jesus Christ? when they've got problems. The occult seems much more attractive. Or an Eastern religion, or a fundamentalist Protestant religion that's full of enthusiasm in their congregation. Read the book of Acts. I can't spend much more time on it, but it is filled with the stories that should be telling us what Christian church should be today. There's Paul's conversion in chapter 9. There even is in the book of Acts the story of the first division in the Christian church and how it was healed. Peter and Paul were heads of opposing groups. Peter and his group were saying that converts who were not Jewish should be circumcised. And Paul, who was already ministering a lot more to the Gentiles than anyone else was, was saying, no, that's not God's way. God's filling them with the Holy Spirit without them ever getting circumcised. I think that's proof that they don't need to be circumcised. And it caused division. And they had the first council. We had Vatican Council II not too long ago. The very first council was the Council of Jerusalem. It's in the book of Acts. The people got together, prayed about, and brought forward their different viewpoints on this issue and came to the Lord's decision about how to handle it. That's in chapter 15. Notice in chapter 17, if you've got a subtitle, it might say Paul in Thessalonica. It says in the first verse there, they reached Thessalonica. Two of the books of the New Testament were written to these people. The letter to the Thessalonians, 1 and 2. Paul was reinforcing and encouraging them to continue in their spiritual growth. By the way, Thessalonians 1, the first epistle to the Thessalonians, is the very first letter that Paul wrote. And since I'm mentioning, let's skip ahead, keep your finger there in Acts, but let's skip ahead to Thessalonians. You'll go to Romans and then the two Corinthians books and then Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians. Then we come to Thessalonians, Colossians and then Thessalonians. The order of the books are not chronological. It's put in there basically by size. But 1 Thessalonians, Chapter 4. How many of you were at Mass this morning? 
This is the reading, the first reading this morning at Mass. When Ralph and I heard this, we kind of like jabbed each other in the side with our elbows. We said, this is perfect for today at the Bible conference. Finally, brothers, we earnestly ask and exhort you in the Lord Jesus, and I'm going to read this right now to you as if I am speaking it from my heart to your hearts, not just Paul writing to the Thessalonians here. Finally, my friends, my brothers and sisters who we've been sharing this Bible conference together with, I earnestly ask and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from me how you should conduct yourselves this week through the word of God, and as you are conducting yourselves, you do so even more. For you know that the instructions we gave you this week were through the Lord Jesus. This is the will of God, your holiness, that you refrain from immorality. And it goes on and on about how to live a moral life. For God, verse 7, did not call us to impurity but to holiness. Therefore, verse 8, whoever disregards this, whoever disregards what we've been teaching you all week, disregards not a human being, not me, but... God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Okay, let's go back to the book of Acts. In chapter 18, Paul is now in Corinth. He wrote two letters to Corinthians. Here's the story of his visit to the people who he wrote letters to. An interesting way to read the New Testament is read the book of Acts, and when you get to a community who Paul has written a letter to, Stop there and go read that letter or those letters. By the way, we know that the word letter is referring to epistle. When you hear the word epistle, don't think that an epistle is the wife of an apostle. (laughs) It's the letter of an apostle. Most of the letters, by the way, most of the epistles were written about 20 years after Jesus died. So that gives you a kind of a time frame. It's the early, early stages of the growth of the church. Chapter 19. Paul traveled through the interior of the country and came to Ephesus. And these are the people he wrote the book of Ephesians to. Lots of of good stuff in here. Good stuff, good stuff. It tells the story of how Paul gets persecuted to the point of being imprisoned. That's in chapter 22. And the book of Acts goes from there to how he dealt with his imprisonment and how he... He longed to get to Rome. Throughout his ministry, his heart was just longing to get to Rome. He wrote the letter to the Romans with a longing to go and visit them. And when he's arrested, he figures, now I can get to Rome because I can appeal to the Roman court system. I don't want to spend time on it, but it's explained why he has the privilege to be able to do that. He appeals to the Roman court system so that they ship him to Rome. And he finally gets to Rome. And even though he's imprisoned there, it's under house arrest. It's not too bad conditions. He can't go anywhere. He can't go to the synagogues or to the the homes where the churches are forming. But he can write. And he writes lots and lots there. A lot of the letters were written while he was in prison. And if it weren't for him being imprisoned, we may not have a lot of the New Testament. He might have been too busy traveling and preaching to write the letters if he hadn't been in prison. In chapter 28, he arrives in Rome, and that's basically where the book of Acts ends. From tradition, from history, we know that Paul was eventually killed there, and so was Peter. That's why the Vatican is in Rome, 
because Peter ended up eventually in Rome with his ministry of being the first pope. You've been listening to Story in the Bible. For more faith builders or to learn more about this ministry, come visit our website. You'll find online resources and lots more to help you know the Father's love and grow closer to Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Visit gnm.org today.